Hello and welcome back to another video on this channel. Today we're going to be discussing the topic of gender. The reason why I've decided to do this discussion on gender is because in my previous video, Sex and Sensibility, I made a video responding to a guy called Forrest Valkyrie. It wasn't received the best by some of these like crazy leftists or whatever. They didn't really agree with what I was saying and I was like, well, I think most of them just completely misinterpreted my arguments in the video, the use of sources. So this is more of a clarification video and also to provide a more solidified discussion about the topic because, you know, when you're doing a response video, you're aimed to just responding and discussing the exact video that you're responding to. And a lot of the background theory goes untouched. This is going to be the background theory in which you can view the previous discussion so it will clear up a lot of misconceptions. And in order to do this, I've jo been joined with my friend Warren, who's going to be playing the devil advocate on some points, or also just discuss or contribute to the discussion as he usually does when he comes on my channel. So Warren, how are you? Uh, I'm great. Actually, I'm, I'm one of the radical leftists that, that you were <laughs> <laughs> talking about. All right. So with that in mind, let's get uh, right into the discussion. And I think, first of all, the best way to start, perhaps, would just be to start off with providing or at least my view of uh, gender. Or, or do you think we should best start off with the scientific facts about gender? Because I think that if we look at the scientific facts, both sides kind of agree, or at least I agree with the scientific facts the hard facts produced by the scientists. The only question is, is how do we interpret them? So where do you think we should start off with? Start off with the facts or start off with the interpretation? Sure, but I, I guess the way one presents the fact would already be a kind of interpretation. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess, can you just lay down your arguments uh, along with the facts that you think support those mm -hmm. arguments? Mm -hmm. Well, I think my, my argument should be best seen actually as a response to the gender theory going on as the as seen in society, because I think if we look at the scientific facts, we can see that what is justified by the claims seen in the scientific facts is not what we see in the gender phenomenon in society. For example, you look at a, a list of any gender list, the two-spirited gender, the non-binary gender, all of these different genders. The question is, is that, well, is the scientific fact supporting of the genders and those people who are saying that the genders do exist, well, what exactly do they mean? And this is especially in a response to uh, the video that Forrest Valkyrie made, because I think that essentially what he was trying to argue was that gender is represented by science. And so what science shows is that there is a spectrum between male and female. Now, I think that if we look at the spectrum between male and female, I am very happy with the existence of such a spectrum. I'm like, well, clearly there are going to be variations. Clearly there are going to be some situations where people aren't, where the sexual development process doesn't go exactly as, uh, evolution has uh, led the, se the sexual determination process to be in humans and there are as a result some people lying in between for example maybe the SRY has developed in a different ways maybe they they lead they, their developments lead some people with the XY chromosome to act more female because their SRY chromosome didn't, or their SRY gene didn't work as well or didn't express the express the same distinctions as it normally should in an XY uh, a person with XY chromosomes and you could say well does that now mean due to the spectrum that you can actually fall into? You don't have all your um, all the sexual determination process working in the way. Does it follow from that that there are now a lot of genders? I think that is really the question that we're answering. And number two is that, well, how do we actually, what exactly do we define by genders? Are we defining genders as something which is supported by brain scans or psychological um, tendencies? Or are these based purely on subjective emotion and feelings? Because I think it's my argument should only be viewed as a response to the 
response to the theory produced by the opposition instead of an argument based on itself. Because I'm very happy with people saying, well, it's just a subjective feeling on the assumption that they just say, well, we can't defend it at all. It's just my subjective feeling. And I'm very happy with someone yeah. saying that. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I find everything you say pretty reasonable. So it, it's mm -hmm. difficult to difficult to play the devil's advocate. I guess what, so perhaps your argument would be that, yes, it is true that there are all these uh, fuzzy gray areas where perhaps one gender degrade into another and you're perhaps in the middle, but that doesn't justify us in, in saying that there's a lot of different genders, but instead we just still keep the male-female divide. Is this basically the gist of your argument? Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think that this is something that was overseen a lot in uh, the discussion I had, or at least in the comments section, because what I was essentially trying to say, and, and this is something I uh, write about in my book, Christianity for All, I say, well, we could look at the male and the female, and these should be seen as archetypes. They're not to be said as something which is strictly defined, oh, you're XX, and then therefore you're a female, or you're XY, and therefore you're a male, or maybe you're XXY, and then now you're a female, or something like that. It's These things should only be seen as an archetypal, or at least a guideline to say, well, there are two male and female archetypes on the assumption that all these sexual differentiation processes go exactly as per the norm. That means your, X, your SRY things function properly. That means you're, that you have XY chromosomes or you're born with XX chromosomes, assuming that everything works exactly as it normally does. And of course, you could say, well, what does normal mean in science? But as things normally go, like the larger percentage, well, where does that fall into? You can create an archetype, or at least that's the best way to put it, or the antipode of the male and the antipode of a female. And the, and the only question is, is well, what exactly goes in between uh, these two discussions? And, and it's only then where you say, well, if you fall somewhere between them, does that mean you are non-binary? Or does that mean you're another gender? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Well, what if, I, I don't think, even if perhaps you have the right chromosome, of a male or female chromosome, mm -hmm. what if perhaps your personality is slightly different? And mm -hmm. so it, I find it extremely difficult for you for you to define what, what norm means in the sense that, of course, everyone's personality will be different. So what, what exactly do you mean by a, the norm of male and female? And also, why do you think we should introduce this divide? Well, I think that this divide is very important in the sense that it plays a more of a descriptive role in science. For example, in in um, the development of humans, you can say the human genome is very similar to the ape genome. Now, what exactly do we mean by a human? Of course, some humans would develop some parts which are a bit closer to an ape than another, because of course we have a similar sense of, we have a 99 point or 98%, a, a really high similarity in the genome between humans and um, our nearest, our closest, uh, our closest animal relative. And you could say, well, there might be some gray area between the two, especially if you go back very far in history where it starts to branch off. The same thing goes in uh, between male and female. You have male and a female. And then, well, you might have some differences in between them, but we still need to have a category as uh, as kind of a more more of just of a, of a practical area just to say, well, there is a sense of a male and there is a sense of female. Now we're talking mainly in the sex area to just say, well, there is a male, there is a female. How are we categorizing these different things? How many sexes are in the human species? You will normally say two. And of course you could say there's a difference between sex and gender. But I think that if we look at gender, then we have to really question, and this goes back to the previous question, well, how exactly do we define gender? Do we 
define gender as something based on the science beneath it, or do we view it as something completely detached from it? And I think that's a very interesting question that we have to discuss. Because of course, you could, if you've gotten it, or if you've noticed, my argument here is very dependent on the fact that gender is tied into sex. No, not, I mean tied into science and is not actually detached because normally, especially the video I was responding to, really tied in gender with either the psychological brain scans or the science underlying it. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess there, there will be two responses to this, mm -hmm. two responses. Uh, the first one would be, if you do it like this, then the classification of male and female seems extremely arbitrary, mm -hmm. especially considering the amount of variation between the two sexes. And there's also another critique, perhaps uh, a kind of Judith Butlerian, uh, I, I guess, I guess theory of saying that, well, gender is, is a kind of performative gesture. So it's, it's something that's inculcated into you from culture, and it has nothing to do with your biological, biological, I, I guess, I don't know, a makeup. The gender mm -hmm. is just how you act and a set of dispositions that the culture imbues into you. How would you, I guess, respond to, to these two critiques? One mm -hmm. is uh, gender is, comp uh, your classification is completely arbitrary. The other is gender is just a form of performance. There's no uh, mm -hmm. essentiality to it. I think if we look at the first one, and especially about gender being arbitrary, I don't think it's necessarily sex, the male and female dichotomy is, uh, being arbitrary. I don't think that isn't necessarily a problem if we look at uh, scientific literature, because a lot of things, if we look at the definition or the defining of terms in science, they're not very uh, objective kind of discussions. However, they're still used, these terms are still used, despite all the variations, to provide uh, a common way to, to talk about something. For example, the, for example, if we look at um, at science, some um, chemical reactions or or the temperature, for example, we can we, the, the terms we use for these are completely arbitrary. You're creating these terms to express phenomena, even though there could be a lot of variations. However, we still have to have these terminology there just so, or just there to provide these performative actions in our discussion. <laughs> for, Sorry, <laughs> my sister has, <laughs> has appeared and it's, <laughs> it's disturbing me, but I, I guess, the, the problem here would be why what what justifies you in in doing this you can you can say that well it is true that science uses uh some terms and some of them seem rather arbitrary for example when you classify certain species there's a lot of gray area in between but what what justifies you to do this in uh when you apply it to human human beings especially when it has a great impact on individual persons' lives. I think that's a very interesting topic. And I think that this is the separation, once again, illustrates the separation between the scientific fact behind it and perhaps the subjective experience. Because I have um, made it very clear in the video, and I think people just completely ignored me saying that just because it's kind of suited their narrative a bit more. But essentially, I've made it very clear that I'm completely happy with people having subjective identifications. However, when you say, well, what allows us to, to have this kind of arbitrary distinction, we have to go to our philosophy of language and say that, well, our, the word that we're using, the male or the female sex, the word used in this situation is representative 
of the two antipodes. For example, if you look at north and east in the world, right, you have the north, and the north pole and the south pole. You could perhaps look at the sphere, a globe like this. You could see on the top of the globe, you have the north pole, and then on the bottom of the pole, you have the south pole. You could say in the same way that, well, you might have a lot of area in between the North Pole and the South Pole. You could say, well, maybe you're um, 50 or you're 49.999 percentage away from the North Pole and like, and then 41 or 40.11111 percent away from the South Pole, right? You can have a lot of variation in between the two, but it still doesn't, it still doesn't stop the idea of a, a North and a South having a very important performative kind of function in our understanding of how the world is situated. Um, geograph geographically, or whatever the word is for it. In the same way, if you look at uh, gender or, or actually sex, if, I, if we're just looking at this from a purely scientific way, well, you can see that, yes, there's a lot of variations between um, the male and the female. However, it still doesn't change the fact that there is indeed a male, or at least whatever is whatever rep we represent by the male, the concept of the male, assuming that all these functions ca were carried out or occurred in the correct way, and a female, assuming that everything carried out in the correct way. So we have two of these circumstances, and when and it's only when we look under these two circumstances that we see that there are two antipodes, if that's the best way to look at using geographical terms, and then there's variation in between, and that variation is open to be seen as a spectrum between the two antipodes. Yeah, I, I, I understand, but using this analogy, I just don't see why why we have to use the words male and female, isn't it? For example, maybe you're one degree up the, the equator and another person is one degree mm -hmm. down the equator. And we, we would, uh, under this, it would be the same as saying that the person up will just call them uh, situated at the, the, the North Pole and mm -hmm. the, the the person down, we would, we would say that they're situated in the South Pole where in reality, we wouldn't say that. So why, why would we say that someone who's perhaps leaning towards a, what we call an ideal male gender be called male and an ideal female gender be called female, even though the distance between them is much smaller than the distance to the respective poles. And, and what, what justifies you in saying, someone may ask, of, of creating these two ideal poles well, what's the ideal male or the ideal female that they are thinking about? Well, I think the use of the word ideal there is very deceptive because ideal definitely has a connotation that it's good and that you should be morally attached to one of these poles in a, in a per perfect fashion. I don't necessarily think that's the case. In fact, I think most people find themselves somewhere on the spectrum, though they're perhaps further away from the 50-50 line and closer to either one side or another. There might be a few variations here or there. But for the majority of people, they, they're still mainly on either one side or the other, at least grouped together on both sides. And, and now you might say, well, what is the use of um, the male and the female? I, I just think it is just useful in the sense that for, for the majority of those 90 pe the 90% of the people who are very close to both sides, I, these are not actual statistics. I think it's around 8% of the people who, have, um, in, who are born intersex, which means they're way closer to the middle than normal. It's around 8 to 9%. I'm, I'm not fully sure, but, but essentially for the 90% of people who are indeed closer to the male and the female side, it is a it's just more practical scientifically to be able to say, well, that is a male sex and that is a female sex. Of course, there are some sets of areas where you get into the middle and it is very subjective and very gray. But then I would then, in response to that, just say, well, there are gray areas in all of a science in that. 
And that's just one of those problems which you have to admit, assuming that we look at it from a scientific lens. Yeah, and another challenge to you would be that uh, if you accept that people can have their subjective feelings and identify as whatever they want, then why do you still insist so much on on, on a, applying science onto human beings? Because a special, I, I guess it's a very special thing about being human is that we're not constrained by science or constrained merely by biology. We're able mm-hmm. to think beyond that and act against our perhaps rise biological mm-hmm. impulses. So wh- why why do we have to use these terms? Someone may ask when they, they seem rather primitive and even tyrannical. In fact, I'll completely agree with this argument tonight. And the reason why I'm heavily focusing on the sites and the subjective feeling is because if you look at the video created by Forrest Valkai and a lot of the other people talking about um, the nature and the, the kind of how gender is represented in science it is actually those people on the opposite side who are actually arguing for such a phenomenon who are actually using the science to back their arguments. And as a result, I'm using science. I'm saying, well, the science does not warrant such a conclusion because personally, I completely agree with you that that it's completely fine. And I think it's it's animal to say, well, this is not a scientific belief at all. We're doing this based on our subjective perhaps even the intrasubjective um, experience of the world because other people might feel the same way and this is a subjective understanding of the term. But then if that's the case, then we have to make sure that the claim that we're making is similar or reflected in the arguments that we're making for the claim in the sense that if we're going to say that it is a subjective feeling and it's not based on science, then we better not use science as a justification to argue for such belief. However, if we are going to be using science to argue for such belief, this is where my critique of Forrest Valkai came in, which is to say, well, well, essentially, the science that you're using to argue for the gender phenomena that we see today is not warranting such a conclusion. And that's where my argument arises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think we got a good, good case here for the... Like if, if we're looking scientifically, that it really is justified for us to to use the terminology male and female. However, I'm wondering what you would think about people who, who claim, who try to separate the biological and the, I guess, humanistic, the subjective, and then claim that, well, there's these many genders simply because, well, we can identify as whatever we we wish to mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i'm wondering what you would think about this this point of view well i think that um identifying as whatever you wish to would would of course have to be separated from the science so I, I would like to illustrate the previous point a bit more perhaps which i think would then help us understand the distinction between the subjective kind of experience and the scientific experience because in the video forrest valkai points towards the wide range of different um the wide range of different brain states, which does indeed seem to support uh, of, of a, a huge spectrum. And then some people say, well, now there's a, now that we've established or admitted that there's a sex spectrum, then it seems that there is should be or a gender spectrum as well. But then I think exactly the problem that you raised previously arises is that, well, what if we had someone who claims to be non-binary, but then does a scientific study on themselves and realizes that they're fully a male in the scientific sense? Then what exactly are we meant to do with those situations where where someone's science does not match what they claim themselves to be. 
And furthermore, what exactly does it mean to feel to be binary? Is that a cultural distinction or is that something developed non, non-culturally and, bi- and psychologically? Because if we view these things as a result of the culture, I think that that ties into the objection, the second objection that you raised previously. If these are truly brought up or are led or developed by the culture, then where on earth did the non-binary and the two-spirited come from? Because there were never cultural ideas to be there in the first place. So there is indeed a definitely a distinction between the two. And I think that we have to be very, very careful when we start using science as a defense for the existence of multiple genders, because it leads to conclusions that we might not like. Mm-hmm. So, because this, I think this touches on a very important kind of problem about identity that is beyond mere gender expression. The, well, I'll just lay down some problems that I see with with the view that you, you, you can just subjectively identify as whatever you want. Firstly, uh, identity is not about what you think, but it's also about what other people think about you, but not only about what other people think about you, but also your entire history, as in you can't just throw away everything you've thought in, in the past and try to be someone new. Habits, uh, uh, carry carry on even if you don't want them so sometimes it's better to observe someone's action than than what they think they themselves are to identify who they who they really are and i'm wondering what you think about these these two views i think these views definitely are an argument which are very successful against against um against against uh, the idea that you can identify as whatever you want and or at least identify in a non but or at least in, a, in, in at least how it's used in a subjective sense because i think we're tying into kind of the sartrean idea where you're meant to define yourself but you also define other people and you are, yourselves get defined by others and this is kind of perhaps tied into the idea where he says hell is other people it's like other people define you and and that makes you very difficult and and of course i think this also ties into the heideggerian idea of being where where your being is the being of something, the or the or the purpose or the or telos of, of something which exists is is not just defined by yourself, but defined by the world around you and the culture, the history which is around you. And I think that this definitely provides a very difficult discussion towards the, the person who views gender as something based on their personal experience. But but then, of course, the natural response to that would be, well, what exactly do we mean when someone defines themselves as a certain feeling? And well, should does the fact that gender is completely subjective allow it to just separate it from any sense of rational discourse and dialogue in the same way that if I say, well, let's just accept subjectivity, then, well, there is no truth to the situation. They're no, they're no longer arguing about truth, but rather about a feeling which can neither be falsified or verifiable or or defended in any sense. They already accept that it is not a, a logical or reasonable conclusion. I'm using this, and I don't want this to be taken in a very bigoted way to say you're being an idiot by doing this, but rather I'm, I'm saying this in the sense that, in a philosophical sense, well, it is not a reasoned conclusion that you're reaching, rather it's a purely subjective emotion that you're reaching. Then I think that if we accept it like this, then we've created a belief which is completely impervious to any sense of argument against it. And then you would not think that 
there, there's any essence or uh, to or there, there's any meaning to the words of male and female that we're attributing to certain people that has a and that points to some essence within them that is immutable that cannot be changed or I think I think you're pointing at a very interesting kind of problem which we see here is that the moment like if we accept this complete subjectivity we seem to lose we seem to completely lose any sense of identification with those around us or at least we seem to lose any sense of standpoint in which we can actually have any dialogue on this gender basis and that's why i think at least with the cultural basis of gender you at least have some sense of guiding principle or at least some sense of guide as to how we're meant to develop our our theories about this gender thing and but the only problem is is that when we do allow for this cultural thing then naturally you would say well then where, what on earth does it mean when someone say they're too spirited we're exactly in this cultural kind of cultural image or landscape does these things land upon and if we view gender as a cultural construct then well well are we viewing this cultural construct as something which is good or something that we are meant to remove because that's something else that I've been very curious and maybe you can help me with this is that what exactly does it mean when people say gender is a cultural construct or societal construct then does it mean that they like the fact that it's a societal construct because it allows for multiple different genders or does it mean it they don't like it because you're then defined by your culture because that's something that I personally don't exactly completely understand when they mean that gender is a social or a cultural construct I myself am not very sure either. I think you have to think about more what they're trying to rebel against, or, or, or the, the viewpoints that they're, that they're setting themselves against when they say that coach, uh, gender is a cultural contract. Perhaps they're trying to, I guess, militate against a, a very hard scientific view where there is an essence in you that makes you. It, that makes it must be a male or a female. And the, the, the problem with this is that I don't think the people who claim that gender is a cultural construct is necessarily saying anything very radical in the sense that, of course, anyone like it's reasonably educated will know that many of the practices, many of the divisions between what males do and what females do are are rather artificial and part of our cultural tradition. But nevertheless, it still feels like there's something more than a cultural contract working here or something rather productive, or else it wouldn't be continued for so long, even though we can't say that there's an essence within it. And I'll just throw out my very Hegelian point, which is that perhaps these kind of universals of male and female uh, on, on either side do not apply to any single person in reality, to any single particular manifestation of it. But it, it still is very productive for us to apply these universal categories to, to look at particular things because we're able to see, see what we couldn't see before if we're not willing to use these universals. It's like perhaps in psychoanalysis, uh, they like to use the phrase uh, feminine and masculine, uh, whether you're talking about union psychoanalysis or Lacanian psychoanalysis, or even Freudian for that matter, even though there, there's no ideal male or female 
uh, in, that exists in the world. Nevertheless, their the using of male and female as these universal notions is very productive for us to identify different things to, to categorize, uh, I guess, different symptoms and, and not necessarily treat, but to help people. What do you think about this? I think your Hegelian distinction is very helpful. I think it just ties on very well attaching perhaps the phenom phenomenology behind my previous discussion about the science. Not only do we see two like scientific kind of situations of the male and the female, we also have a phenomenological understanding behind it of the male and the female as well. And I think that's very valuable insight. Though perhaps we can develop even further in, or at least with our discussion about culture is that, well, we seem to have reached a situation where gender, the discussion about gender really is dependent on the way people define gender as. And there are certain definitions of gender or approaches to gender which are, which are either unacceptable or, or um, misinformed or misdirected. I think that this is this kind of ultimate situation where what we're doing in this discussion is providing a framework upon which certain views of gender can be formulated rather than really saying we are providing a certain solution to gender. We're not saying, well, this is the best way to look at gender, but rather we're saying that, well, if you're going to present a, a formulation of gender, it has to follow a few certain rules or at least a few certain kind of constraints. Otherwise, it would be a system which ultimately is self-defeating. Yeah, it's, I guess it's also a reminder that one has to be extremely careful with the words one used and mm -hmm. extremely precise with it because if if you're imprecise then everything becomes messy and ambiguous and then it's even very difficult for you to refute or revise your own viewpoints because you don't really have one but but i guess we can end with a kind of caution in that if you hear other people who are using all kinds of jargon and words that, uh, I guess, come from a certain language game, from a certain ideology, then a lot of times it's almost impossible to communicate with them just because they're, they're so wrapped up inside the, I don't know, linguistic bubble or the, the kind of trap, the kind of prison that they've set themselves in and wouldn't accept a kind of different definition. and just be cautious, I guess, to enter into conversation like these if you don't have sufficient time and if you can't sense goodwill from the other side to reach a kind of mutual agreement or to have the goodwill to revise their definitions and to, to rethink their assumptions. And this is also that what we have to bring to the table when we're in a discussion to, to be willing to, to hear what others are saying, not imposing I guess our preconceptions onto their, their words, but to hear their words in their own right. And I guess that's, that, that's the basic etiquette or the, the, the basic dialectical framework that we have to occupy in order for philosophy and thinking to work. I think uh, what Warren says here is, is very apt here, and I think this is perhaps a good way to end this discussion. And I hope that this discussion perhaps has cleared up any possible um, confusion uh, generated by the last video, and I have to admit the last video perhaps was a bit too brief, and I and I didn't approach it in the most appropriate manner because it was a very deep topic, and by
producing that video before I made one of these framework videos would perhaps was indeed the wrong way to go around doing things. So I would like to know that if you guys agree with anything we say, disagree with anything we say, or you have any ideas, let me know in the comment section below. I'll happily hear your ideas there. Finally, if you enjoy this content and want more discussion, make sure to like and subscribe. It means a lot to me. It really helps this channel grow. You can find more discussions on my uh, podcast, Dostoevsky and Us, or on Dost- or on Warren's, I almost called him Dostoevsky, but on Warren's uh, podcast as well, Thinker's Kitchen. Make sure you go check him out. Like always, stay safe. See you soon. Thanks for watching and goodbye, my friends. Have a great one and God bless.